edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. God has purposely scattered the gifts of the Spirit through the church in order to cause us to live out interdependence and unity as the body of Christ. In this way, when properly lived out, then gifts, ministries, and manifestations help us be one body. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, in a message titled, The Spirit-Filled Church. And now, here's Pastor Char. So we are teaching through 1 Corinthians with this theme of everyday discipleship, and we are in a bit of a mini-series called The Church and the Spirit. And this book is really a book about our discipleship to Jesus. And what was going on in the Corinthian church, as we've been seeing, is that the Corinthian church had failed to see the real-life implications of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the everyday, minuscule to the big ways that Jesus calls the whole of us, that he wants to animate the whole person as his disciple. And so we've been talking for weeks and weeks now just about the social and spiritual and sexual problems the church in Corinth. And I say this often, but it feels like this laundry list, but Paul is just systematically going through all the ways that the church had failed to recognize the real life, everyday implications of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we've been talking about that quote by Leslie Newbegin every time I teach. The choice of the church in every age will always be, will we be shaped by the culture or will we be shaped by scripture, by the biblical story or by the cultural story? Now, in chapter 11, Paul turned his attention to the worship gatherings of the Corinthian church, and he addresses the varied issues in their gatherings all the way through chapter 14. And last time I shared with you guys, I was sharing with you that, you know, chapter 12, this exposition of the work of the Spirit in the life of the church, Paul is doing more than telling us about spiritual gifts that the individual has. He's actually talking about so much more. He's talking about the rich diversity of the Spirit's work in the church. What that might look like as a gift that you have, a ministry that you might be called into, but also ways in which the Spirit simply wants to manifest his presence as we gather together. I mentioned that the common translation of verse one is spiritual gifts or gifts of the spirit. It's misleading because the word gifts is actually not in the original Greek. Paul instead is speaking like this big heading of spirituals. And it's really all about how the spirit of God moves forward the mission of Jesus through the followers of Jesus. Now, you'll remember that Paul has mentioned that there is confusion around these things. 
confusion surrounding what the Spirit of God might prompt someone to say. Would the Spirit of God prompt someone to say, Jesus is cursed? Paul says, absolutely not. The Spirit of God will prompt someone to say, Jesus is Lord, and to manifest a life that declares that Jesus is Lord. So there's all sorts of confusion in the Corinthian church. And I believe that this confusion was because of their pagan background. It was still very much a part of their thinking, their speaking, and their practice, as we've seen all throughout the teaching of this book. Now, I think something that we often forget is that when these Corinthians became Christian, they did not suddenly become worshipers. They weren't suddenly spiritual as opposed to being formally atheistic or agnostic. That's usually how we think of spirituality in our Western Christian culture, We think, oh, well, you went from being ignorant or denying the existence of God now to knowing God and now being spiritual. See, the Corinthians actually were very spiritual, and they were involved in all sorts of worship gatherings as a part of their culture, but their pagan worship was vastly different from what they had now been called to in Christ. Mark Buchanan he wrote a book called The Rest of God. It's actually a book about Sabbath and how as Christians, followers of Jesus, we now observe or should observe the principles of Sabbath. But in his introduction, he actually talks about the worship gatherings of the early church. And he says that the early church purposely used a different word to describe their worship gatherings than the pagans used. The word that they chose to use was the word liturgy. Now, for those of us today, that carries all sorts of connotation of high church, maybe Anglican, Presbyterian, or some of you, maybe you were raised Roman Catholic or Lutheran, and so you know about the liturgical worship in these, you know, we call them high liturgical churches. But originally, liturgy referred to a public work. Liturgy was something This was a very, like, it wasn't a spiritual word necessarily. It was actually just used commonly in the culture. Liturgy was something accomplished by a community for the community. A town bridge or a village well or a city wall, that was liturgical work. It was something built by the people for the people. Now, the oddness and awkwardness of the church's decision to import this word for their worship is even stranger, more curious, when you realize there was already a religious word in circulation in the pagan world, and this was the word orgy. Now, orgy carries all sorts of sordid undertones and overtones these days, but in the days of the early church, it didn't, or at least at that time, it was still somewhat in the background. But this is the thing about orgy. Orgy described a public event that produced a private, usually ecstatic experience. There was a group gathering, but it was not about the collective. It was about me. It was about my personal experience. It was about what I got out of it. Regardless of how many people were involved, the emphasis was always squarely on the emotional experience of the individual. Not so with liturgy, and this was purposeful. Liturgy is done by me 
I am invited, perhaps required to play a role, but it isn't about me, it's about us. It's about the other. It's about the community collective. Its purpose is to benefit the entire community, whether to provide protection, support, or a resource. It's about a building project that benefits all. Paul is bringing these Corinthians misapplication of their worship gatherings into a correct understanding. See, he is taking these pagans from a selfish, individualistic idea around worship gatherings as orgy to a self-sacrificial, others-oriented idea around worship gatherings as liturgy. And I have this deep, deep conviction that this is what we need to see in the church today. We need to think liturgically. We need this correction of our vision. We need to see our worship gatherings like this. It's a public work. It's a work done by us for us. The church, after all, is the community of the Spirit of God. It's a collective. It's the people of God, whether gathered or scattered, committed to building God's kingdom, representing God's kingdom, being this temple of the Spirit of God that gives worship to God. We're building something greater than ourselves than our own personal piety or spirituality. And I believe that this is what the Spirit of God is calling us back into, this orthodox, biblical view of the gathered church. We would come together and we would do liturgical work. This is what we see in the early church. It was an every-member ministry, and I believe that this is what we need to see in the days going ahead, that here at Calvary Chapel, each of us would take personal responsibility for this community, that we would labor together in love for the benefit of all, for this body, this local body, and then for the greater work of the kingdom of God, and not just for ourselves, for what I get out of it, for what I thought about the worship gathering. So let's talk a little bit about our individual responsibility for the common good. How does that work? Now, Paul makes it clear in our passage that this is what gifts, ministries, and manifestations of the Spirit are all about. They are all about the liturgical work of the church. So every follower of Jesus, each member of the body of Christ, has at least, according to Paul, one gifting or ability from the Spirit in order to serve the church and continue the ministry and mission of Jesus. So everyone in this room has at least, at least one. Some people have several giftings, but listen, no one person possesses all the gifts or ministries or manifestation. And God has purposely done this. God has purposely scattered the gifts of the Spirit through the church 
in order to cause us to live out interdependence and unity as the body of Christ. In this way, when properly lived out, then, gifts, ministries, and manifestations help us be one body. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. He says, to each, that's followers of Jesus, members of the body of Christ, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. That's liturgy. For the benefit of all, the common good. Now listen to how these workings of the Spirit are described in the rest of the New Testament. They share this theme of communal good and benefit for all. In Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus gave these giftings to the church, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice, when each part is working properly, then we have a fully functioning body. Do you ever think about that? Like this analogy, this metaphor, the body of Christ. What happens when a part of your body doesn't work? It's a handicap. You're not a fully functioning body. Think about this. When a vast majority of Christians or of a local church body are not using their gift or their ministry, what do we have? We have a local church, a body of Christ that is spiritually handicapped. That's what we have. We have a body that is not fully functioning, not living into its full potential. For what? So all of us can be built up and strengthened. So we can see God do what he desires to do in and through his church. Peter puts it this way. I love this passage. He says, as each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you have a speaking gift, he says, then do it as one who speaks the oracles of God. If you have a serving gift, Use it as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So just hear me out one more time. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit of the living God working in you, working through you. When Jesus finished the work of redemption, he poured out the Holy Spirit. 
And we're told that he poured this on his church. He gave gifts to mankind to enable us to continue his mission. And each individual Christian is given a measure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had to empower us for service, to continue the mission of Jesus in the church and in the world at large. This is the basic New Testament teaching of what the church is and what the church does. Now, unfortunately, we don't often follow this biblical model of everyone using their gift for mutual upbuilding, but follow some form of what John Stott describes in his book, Living Church, this way. He says, the traditional model of the church is that of a pyramid with the pastor perched precariously on its pinnacle, like a little pope in his own church, while the laity are arrayed beneath him in serried ranks of inferiority. It is a totally unbiblical image because the New Testament envisaged not a single pastor with a docile flock, but both a plural oversight and an every-member ministry. Now, not much better is the model of the bus in which the pastor does all the driving while the congregation are the passengers slumbering in peaceful security behind him. Quite different from either the pyramid or a bus is the biblical model of the body. The church is the body of Christ, every member of which has a distinctive function. See, an every member ministry means one person or even a group of persons cannot do everything and are not supposed to. God has called each individual member of the body of Christ to bring our unique gift, calling, your personality, your perspective, where you've been, where you've come from. All of this bringing together, submitting to one another, leaning on one another, strengths and weaknesses, working together in order that we might help one another grow into Christ, into human wholeness and in our deeper knowledge and experience of God's love for us while we work out God's great plan to use the church to proclaim the gospel and bring people into the kingdom. Everyone has a ministry and a part to play. Everyone has something to contribute to the work that God is doing. Church, if I could just, if you could just hear one thing that I'm saying today, let's build something. Let's build a fully functioning body of Christ so we might continue the mission of Jesus to the world. That's what God wants to do in and through his church. So let's build something. Let's build and be built into a dwelling place for the spirit of God. Let's build and be built as a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. See, when we do that, God causes the church to shine into the world. As we gather for this every member ministry, building up the church, then we scatter into the regions around Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and we bring the light of Christ everywhere we go. So we envision this gather and scatter model actually for the church. We gather to be built up and strengthened through this every member ministry, and then we scatter 
for evangelism, for proclamation, for demonstration and incarnation of the life and ministry of Jesus. So let's build something. Now, what are some of the gifts and ministries and manifestations of the Spirit? And what does it look like for me as an individual to build something, to bring something to the table, to participate in the work that God desires to do in the local church? Well, taken from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, Paul lists out very specific gifting services and manifestations of the Spirit. And so I'm just going to kind of give them all to you and then talk about them just for a minute. So these include apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, miracles, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of those tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, prophecy, discerning of spirits, encouragement, contribution, leadership, mercy, and service. And let me just say this. This is not an exhaustive list of what the Spirit of God does. There is much more. Paul never mentions all the gifts in any passage. And I believe that Scripture is simply giving us a sampling rather than a definitive or an exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit or what the Spirit might prompt a follower of Jesus to do. Just as an example of this, two Old Testament gifts not mentioned, craftsmanship. Remember that God anointed, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was this anointed craftsman and he built all the articles of the temple, of the tabernacle. The Spirit of God came upon him and enabled him to craft these beautiful tables and, you know, the menorah, all of these different things. We don't read that in this list. And then again, in 1 Samuel 16, we actually have a coming on of the Spirit on an individual for writing songs of worship and praise for the gathering of God's people there at the temple. These do not appear in the New Testament list. Neither does Elijah's super speed, right? So there's lots of things that could possibly happen when the Spirit of God comes upon you. Peter, in his first epistle, he doesn't actually even list out spiritual gifts in the way that Paul does, but simply puts all spiritual gifts under the two categories of speaking and serving. And I mentioned these a moment ago. But speaking gifts, it covers the whole range of speaking, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, teaching, evangelism, and preaching. And then, of course, the category of serving covers all those deeds one Christian does for another, whether that's administration, care for the poor and sick, including contributing funds, distributing funds and physical care, helps, leading, healing, miracles, and similar acts that express God's love and mercy in concrete form. Now, some of these gifts are very obvious, while others are a bit more nuanced and sensational. So these are all the possibilities of how God has gifted his church and the ways that he is calling us to bring these gifts to bear upon the work, to contribute to the work that God desires to do. But then there's this other part that Paul mentions here, and that is of sensational manifestations. And as I read through 1 Corinthians 12, 
This seems to me to be ways in which the Spirit of God speaks and works through individual Christians, specifically when God's people are gathered together. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from our guest pastor, Char Broderson, as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.